Uh, we, we were out looking for whale sharks that day and it was a day like the day you came out, we really struggled um, and there was this huge bait bull. Hey, weekenders, welcome back to the Art of Photography podcast where we share our passion as a photographer how and share, share with you how photography brings us hope, purpose and happiness. So today I have somebody who came from a really unique type of niche in photography, underwater photography. I mean, you know, to be able to take some of these photos, first, you need to have this camera. Second, you need to have the housing, which usually costs more than the camera. And third, you need to be able to go into the water and dive and, you know, swim and so forth and operate the camera at the same time. How crazy is that? So I'd like you guys to welcome Tom Cannon. How are you doing, Tom? Hi, Stan. How are you? Hey, Wicked Hunters. Thanks for having me on, mate. All right. So this is actually our take too, because the first part um, got the Tom's internet got cut out. But hey, that's technology. So well, thanks a lot for um jumping back in. Um and yeah, look um really interesting niche. And um you know I met you in Coral Bay, which was one of the most pristine water in Australia. We could say um it has been protected and it is beautiful. The wildlife there, um the underwater wildlife is just so beautiful and. Um, it was so fortunate to to meet you back there. Um, so tell us a little bit. How do you get into underwater um, photography? Yeah, we did. We met in uh, the Ningaloo Reef. Hey, it was a that was an epic little day. That one. Yeah, um, that was. It was like what ages ago. It was so funny because <laughs> we saw shark, we saw whales, but we didn't see whale shark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such such a, a varying day there. I think that's what keeps me uh, so in tune. You know, I'm, I've got the attention span of a goldfish. So the changing uh, wildlife every day is always good. It's never the same. <laughs> but we didn't get a whale shark. Did you end up getting one in the end, or were you? I did. I ended up went to um, Exmouth and I did another one there, and it was that's funny because the the first trip had to be cancelled. So. Um, Actually, on the third try that I actually got onto the, the boat. So the first one was Ningaloo, the second was um, Exmouth, and the third, um, the third one was Exmouth again. Um, and on the third one, I finally, you know, see the whale sharks. And it was so funny. It took me three tries. And mm. once we get out there, I saw three whale sharks. <laughs> <laughs> three is the magic number. It yeah, three is the magic people. number. In <laughs> Unfortunately, it's quite expensive to try three times nowadays. We don't do uh, repeats or anything like that. But so stoked you got one. It's a long yeah. way for you to travel now anyway to come back and have a have a look. Oh man, I'd love to. I'd love to join, you know, I'd love to get a, a housing. It's been my dream to get a housing and do more of what you do. So um, yeah, like um, it's it's awesome. It's definitely um, one thing I want to get into. How, yeah, how, how, sure. how did you first got into this? Like, you know, I mean, when I first started photography, it was more about travel, right? And it's really mm -hmm. easy to kind of jump into it because everyone travels. And then I get into more about landscape and astrophotography. And again, you know, landscapes are everywhere. But what makes you think, hey, I want to take this big, massive camera, put a housing <laughs> underneath it and jump underwater. Like, what, was, what went through your mind? It was a pretty long, pretty long journey, actually. I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, I mean, I guess going all the way back from back to high school sort of time, uh, oh. we, you know, I... I was in media, it was probably my favorite class at school um, and out, outdoor education. Um, and they were the two that I did really well at. And leaving high school, I was, you know, not really sure what I wanted to do. Um, I'd enrolled in, in what was called a screen and media course at RMIT. Uh, and my parents were a bit shocked, to be honest. They were like, what, what are you doing? Like, you've never, you've never really talked about anything like this. And I think 
I was quite, you know, that, that feeling leaving high school is very, very confusing time for some people. Unless you, you just go in one direction and, and don't think about it too much or you've already thought about it so much that you're set. You know, that's usually the way that you've, you're going to go. And I was, I was the total opposite. I kind of had a, had a bit of a dream but wasn't too sure about how to get there. And, you know, like most of us photographers these days, it, it's not the first thing that presents itself in the careers uh, discussion. So um, went to RMIT and, and I was there for about, two weeks doing the screen and media course and, and I ended up pulling out and I was sent into complete oblivion. Uh, personally, it was, it was a pretty tough time. Actually, I, I sort of, I had the, the, it made me, you know, gave me the butterflies in the stomach doing this course and I really wanted to do it. Um, but I didn't really have the backing around me to sort of say, just go for it. You know, it was kind of like security should be getting a trade or something like that, or doing some sort of other degree that's, that's got a few more jobs. Uh, and I buckled and, and, and sort of tried that for a while. Uh, tried various trades, tried various jobs, and I just wasn't happy. I wasn't happy in the slightest. Um, and it took me a long time to sort of really say, you know what, I'm going to commit to something that I love uh, and I want to do. Uh, and I grew up in England, uh, believe it or not. The accents uh, changed a bit now, but I moved over when I was 13. And, and my grandpa was a, a clearance diver in the Navy and a police diver as well. So I grew up hearing diving stories and um, he was he was very influential in that regard. Uh, he always said to me, you know, if you work a job that you love and he absolutely loved his job, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's a bit of a cliche line, but it certainly stuck with me uh, growing up. And I'd always watch documentaries on the BBC docos and things. And it gave me that, like that feeling in my tummy again, that was, that was what I wanted to do with my life. And I never really thought that I could do it. I didn't believe in myself too much at the start. And, and yeah, then the day that I committed and changed my mind, various things happened in my life that, that made me want to do it. Uh, I lost a friend to brain cancer and and she was a very close friend and it kind of hit me and said, that could have been me. Um, and I remember going to say goodbye to her and being in the sort of waiting room. And I got to a point where I was like, what am I doing? I'm not happy with my life. I'm kind of just living day to day. I haven't made a choice of where I want to go. Why am I stuffing around and not doing what I want to do? Um, so I went out, got my diving certificate. I was already free diving a fair bit and decided that I was going to become a dive master uh, and then go from there. So uh, just before I started my dive master internship, I bought a, an underwater camera, a Canon G11 PowerShot with a little housing. Um, I remember it quite well. It cost me $80. Um, very, very cheap because it had scratches all in the lens and you couldn't shoot into the light with it because it just picked up all the scratches. It was one of those auto shutting lenses and the guy had left it in the sand and it shut with sand in between it. Um, <laughs> and I was pretty broke at the time and my parents were kind of like, what are, what are you doing? Like, why are you spending your last dollars on this on this thing? And I was like, this is going to change my life, hopefully. Um, and then I moved to Byron, did my dive masters with this camera. Uh, and in between, I just did as many fun dives as I could, got the camera out every opportunity. And I thought, this is me. You know, this is this actually is what I want to do. Um, so I backed myself, uh, bought a book, an underwater photography book. Uh, just Oh, sorry, just a photography book and taught myself everything about DSLRs. And I couldn't afford them at the time, but uh, learned about them, studied it like I was back in high school again, uh, and then just got out there every single day that I could get out there with a camera. I was out there with one. Um, and yeah, it just grew from there. Found a job in Coral Bay uh, and the guys were kind enough to take me on and jumped on with them. And, and the rest is history, really. Uh, now I'm running my own business up there. And yeah, you, you're learning every single day. And yeah, being in the water is, is the best place to learn underwater photography, I guess. That's, that's insane. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, I'd never really heard that story, right? Um, but that's crazy. So, so he, I mean, like... How how old were you when you realized that man? I need to do something that I really love. You know, like I think 
I was probably the time, you know, when I said I was sitting in the waiting room to say goodbye to my friend, I think that was, I was about 22, 23. And, and that was it. I mean, I've been through so many different jobs and my mates used to laugh at me because, oh, what jobs are you going to do next? You know, and um, I had a, a, a family friend I was working for as a painter and decorator and we used to paint walls and, you know, no disrespect to painters and decorators, but I, I was bored, you know, absolutely bored and I just could not do it anymore and he offered he fell from a ladder offered me his business you know I, I was lined up to to be able to have a pretty steady life be able to buy a house by the time I was 25 and and life would have been a lot different but I, I just could not bear that I wanted I wanted to be out there I wanted to be out there capturing photos and doing what I love and yeah so I reckon about 23 was the was the age that, that it really 22 23 when it really clicked and I was like you know what to hell with everything else I'm gonna have a go at this and and, and see where it takes me and here we are today <laughs> That's awesome, man. I mean, like it took me, you know, 30 years to to get to that mindset of, you know what, stop this. I'm, you know, I'm tired of this comfort and comfort zone and the routines. I want to get out there and do what I'm actually love. So 22, yeah. 23 is you're, you're really lucky to to have found that. And um, mm. I think that's um, one thing that is really interesting uh, from what you, you shared uh, is um, when we jump around, like, you know, when you jump around jobs and stuff, a lot of people have a really bad per- uh, perception on it because it seems like you're not stable right but actually when you're young I feel like this is what you should do and mm-hmm. um, when I met you know now younger uh, people you know especially when I travel right a lot of them are like early 20s or mid 20s they're like I'm not sure what I want to do um, I'm not sure what I want to study I'm just like man don't worry about that just like try a, as much um, different things as possible because you're, you know like you you you, you decided that you try this you know no 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 and then you that's come to it. the one thing that you love and then you know exactly that that's what you want to do. So, yeah, that's it. And, and don't be afraid to fail as well. I think that's the the biggest thing. You know, I spent so long, it, it, it's quite hard in society these days because there's so much pressure on you to to make a certain income or behave a certain way. And, and you're brought up in school, you know, certainly in Australia. And I'd say for yourself too, that you brought up in school a certain way to do a certain thing. And you don't know anything when you, when you come out of high school, it's, it, it's scary for some people when most people, um, and a lot of us are pushed into things. And I, and I always said, I wish I just stayed on that course and just, and just kept going. Um, but I might not be sitting here now if I did that. And, and you, just, you just don't know where life's going to take you. But if you get that fire in your belly and you find something that you love, stick with it and have a go because it, it, it's leading you somewhere and, and it's there for a reason. You know? And it hasn't failed me yet. Um, not to say that I haven't failed at certain things. I haven't had tough times or struggled or things like that. But yeah, you know, you're doing what you love. You don't, you don't notice those things as much because you're, you're dedicated to it. It doesn't feel like work. It's, it's just your life. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really inspiring stories there. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, wow. You know, like, do you ever come to, you know, does it ever cross your mind that maybe this is not for me? Maybe you're not, you're not cut out for this. And, you know, have you ever um, think about, quitting and thinking that you know this is this i'm not i'm not cut up for this and i'm not good enough for this yeah certainly i mean there was it's not a common thing i think now after covid it was tough it was very very tough financially uh, and you kind of have to reinvent the wheel and we've talked about this a little bit as well you've really got to educate yourself and try and expand your horizons beyond photography these days as a photographer because it is such a diverse field and, and and so competitive but certainly in the first year that i moved to coral bay i was working for another company uh, it's a sales job that I was doing and it was really tough to make sales um, because I didn't have the full honest confidence in myself as a photographer. Um, and, you know, I, I was good enough, but I, I just didn't believe it myself, I guess. Um, and I was struggling to make money, making sales. I just got my dive masters as well a year or two before. 
and I was working at a dive shop and I, I turned around to my bosses at the time and said, look, I just don't feel like I'm good enough to do this. And I, I don't know what it is that, that, that's happening, but I'm not making sales for some reason. I don't feel great about my photography. And I was close to, to quitting and, and just doing the dive master thing. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But photography is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And it was more the complications of work and things that I had to kind of, you know, kind of bust through that, that hurdle and just understand that I still have the passion for photography. It's just working your passion as a job is, is it's difficult. It's hard to, to make money sometimes during that. And, you know, it was a good struggle to have early on for me because I think it, it goes to show, you know, I've had struggles every single year. You struggle um, you know, to make money. You have to find ways. But, you know, they say, what do they say? Calm seas never made a good sailor. So, you know, that's, that's the best way to put it, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mean, um, I love how you, um, how you say, you know, like we all go through these struggles and, you know, the social media usually make it seems like it's an overnight success. And the thing that it's really hard for us to share with the, our audience or our followers or fans is, um, our state of mind, right? I mean, like, how do you mm. translate a state of mind in the form of photography or, you know, video? It's, it can be difficult sometimes. And yeah, I, d I definitely feel you. And I think it's, it's really funny because I feel like the, the more I talk to uh, people towards this journey, I feel like a lot of us going through a very similar thing. Um, but mm. one thing that I really want to um, know is, um, do you have like a, a point where, uh, like a turning point, like a, uh, where you just go, you know what, I can do this and I am good enough and my photography, you know, can make a difference or whatnot. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, uh, going back to the last story, I think having the right people around you as well, surrounding yourself with good people that encourage you and, and, and nurture you is, is always great. And at the time I had people that said, no, you're like, you're good at what you do, believe in yourself. And, and that was very important. Um, most recently, actually, I had after COVID, it was a tough time for me. Um, and I was, I was not in a great headspace when it came to the, the financial security of things. I, you know, like so many people in tourism that are reliant on tourism and, and photography or the, the arts, I got to a point where I was like, well, I don't like this feeling anymore. I don't like feeling insecure about my finances and not knowing where the next money is going to come from or, you know, eating into the little savings that I have. And there was a point where I went, you know, I've been doing this for six years now in Coral Bay and I've made a lot of sacrifices to be there. And I had a point, I, called, I actually called my parents and my parents said to me, Tom, you've put so much into this that you need to believe in yourself because look how far you've come, look what you're doing. You know, we believe in you. Um, and it turned me around. I wasn't about to quit, but I was certainly in, in, a, in a low point. Um, so I guess it goes back to having the right people around you, but sticking with it as well. You know, like you say, Instagram shows all the, the glory of things, but there's a lot of, you know, late hours. It's probably late for yourself right now. Um, staying up late editing, speaking to people all across the world. Um, you know, getting up early to do shoots, things like that. Those little one percenters that really make a difference. No one really sees that and understands what you're going through. And you can't really, yeah, you can't really connect people to how you're actually physically feeling as well. It's a, a very tiring job swimming in the ocean every single day and then running a business afterwards. Um, so yeah, I mean, having people around you, staying dedicated and just at those low times, just know that there is a lesson within that that you can, you can take and you can move on because you grow, you grow through these times and in all honesty, I hit probably one of the lowest points last year and now I'm feeling the best I've felt. So, yeah, you know, I'm sure I'll hit another low or another hurdle, but it's all uh, a little bit of altitude sickness as we climb that mountain, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's so inspiring. I mean, um, you know, when you, when you when you say that, when you share that story and you call your, your parents and um, your parents going to say, believe in yourself, I honestly get a goosebumps, mate. Um, mm. And 
I think with most of us and probably almost all of us, the thing that stop us chasing the things that we love is our self doubt. So it's it's That's great cool. that you share that, and hopefully, um, you know, Wiki Hunters, you are listening to this, and um, you know, take this as um, inspiration and a lesson because self doubt really kills dream more than you know failures ever did i know that sounds cliche again but it's so true so yeah that's that's awesome i'm glad that you share that with us um yeah so man like your underwater photos is um is, is out of the world i mean well it's kind of is out of the world because it's inside <laughs> the water <laughs> anyway uh, you know like man seriously we can't just you gotta check out his work because his photo is just incredible and you even got one of your photo got featured on Nat, Nat Geo as part of his their app or something like that, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Like you know, like how how did that come about? You know, I mean, you know, let's share a little bit about the success. I mean, that that photo is probably still is probably my favorite photo to time. It just the the moment itself was was incredible. Uh, we we were out looking for whale sharks that day, and it was a day like the day you came out. We really struggled. Um, and there was this huge bait bull that was uh, that was spotted by the pilot, uh, and we we went over there, checked it out, and the skipper said to me, "Look, just just jump in and have a bit of a swim around. You know, I've just got a feeling." And I got in, uh, and sure enough, this this whale shark turned up, and the boat's coming over, drops everybody, and there was no other sharks really on it except for this one big four meter bronze whaler, which I didn't see until later on. Um, but it's strange to have such you know this bait bull was the size of a of a soccer field. You know, it was absolutely massive, and there was nothing predating on it really at all. Uh, until this whale shark came along and he, you know, generally they don't really predate on, on big bait fish unless there's other things kind of balling them up and they can really um, take the opportunity to get in there and, and try and speed through with their mouths wide open. Uh, but they're not very good at it really. Um, anyway, this whale shark, it was huge. It turned up and the boat's coming around to get everybody in and all of a sudden it starts to dive. So, you know, we communicate with the boats and let them know what's going on. And we say, you know, it's diving. Um, and I sort of looked at the boat and everyone was kind of getting in and I just thought, I'm going to let my duties go as a spotter for a second. I'm going to follow this thing. And I followed this whale shark and it, and it kept going. I took a big breath and it kept going, kept going. And it probably went down to about five or six meters, you know, not super deep, but enough for me to be within the bait ball. And it was complete darkness. Uh, and I was right behind this big tail, you know, probably not, not even a meter away, um, which I probably shouldn't say because that's against the rules. But anyway, <laughs> um, you should get that close to a tail, guys. Uh, but I was swimming right behind it, just following this thing. I couldn't really see where I was going. So I had to, had to be close to the tail. There you go. <laughs> and I followed the tail all the way and it just went completely dark for a couple of seconds. It was just me and this whale shark and this huge bait ball. And I was kind of thinking, I felt a bit disorientated. I don't really know which way is up or down. And then all of a sudden, just the light just opened up and it burst through the other side of the bait ball and just made this perfect circle around. And I was just like, <laughs> with my camera. And I, it was the most amazing moment I've ever seen. Um, and I didn't see, but until I came back, looked at the camera later on, there was a massive bronze whaler that was just circling around, just having a bit of a look at the bait ball as well, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that, that photo definitely my favorite ever photo and i thought you know what i'll enter it into nat geo uh, your shot and see how it goes and i actually didn't hear anything back from them. i knew it did pretty well it got um an editor's pick on there which i was stoked with uh, it was kind of my first real recognition uh, in the photography world so i was really happy and then one day i was just on the app reading and i saw my photo and i thought oh crikey <laughs> how good <is> that <laughs> uh, and i was on the app so yeah that was yeah i was super proud of that um and my friends and stuff saw it as well which was pretty cool and, and my family which is always nice um, yeah, that's how that came about. That's that's awesome. I mean, you know, that's you know, experience like that really pushed me 
like really confirms that I'm doing, I am where I want to be. And, you know, just hearing that story, is just so exciting, you know, like it's, it's mm. amazing, man. Like you make me want to jump into water now. <laughs> Come back over here, mate. <laughs> I guess, I guess that's what, maybe when I go back there, that's what I'm going to, you know, shift to. I'm just going to go underwater uh, photographer for a little bit. That's, that's not a bad thing. And that is awesome. That is an awesome story. I do, man, that is so exciting. So why why Coral Bay? Um, you know, there's a lot of places around Australia that are beautiful, um, both on West and East Coast. Of course, the West is best, right? <laughs> um, we are biased, but yes, West yeah, is best. Nice. We have a better um, better beaches. Um, but you know, like uh, Exmouth is a place. There's a lot of um, beautiful uh, underwater wildlife there as well. Um, up in with Sunday, a little bit north part of. Um, Queens, Queensland, as well as Tasmania and so forth. So yeah. why why Coral Bay? It was funny, actually. Um, I mean, the obvious reason is I got a job over there um, and that's why I went across. But the whole time I was doing, I did my dive masters in uh, Byron Bay at Julian Rocks there, which is where I saw my first manta ray, leopard sharks and uh, grain earth sharks. It was, it was an amazing time because I, I hadn't dived with sharks much before or ever seen a manta. So to be there learning my dive masters with a bunch of great people uh, and seeing what we were seeing every day was, was incredible. Um, but we, to me, the Ningaloo had, I'd only heard rumors about it. I grew up, one of my best friends was actually, his parents lived in Exmouth and they were younger and he used to talk about it uh, a fair bit. And I just one day looked up the Ningaloo reef and had a bit of a look. Cause he said that he was my dive buddy. So the diving was insane over there and I had a bit of a look and I was like, wow, it is. And then I heard about whale sharks and, and I just thought I was drawn to it in, in, a, in a funny way. Uh, and I talked about it actually funny enough when we were doing the internship uh, in Byron. And then I got back to, to Melbourne uh, after doing the internship, completely broke, uh, back working a casual job. And I just looked one day on the Paddy website and there was a job for underwater photographer. And I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And, and yeah, the rest is history. I, I drove my, uh, my really average little car across the Nullarbor all the way around uh, Broke down in Margaret River temporarily. Uh, and then I somehow made it up there. Um, unfortunately, my car is still in Coral Bay at the tip. It didn't, it didn't make it out. But yeah, that's that's the reason I got over there. That's, I haven't left yet. That's crazy because like I, I've driven those roads before and um, it's not a road where you want to have a car breaking down. Definitely not. Uh, it's, my brakes... <laughs> My brakes stopped working in Adelaide, actually. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's a really big hill that you go down in Adelaide. And I think, uh, yeah, I pushed them to their limit, but I didn't have any money. So, uh, you know, it was the master cylinder that went on, I'm not a mechanic, but basically the brakes actually worked, but the actual pedal wasn't working. So I had to, I had to pump the brakes a little bit, quite literally pump the brakes. And yeah, so that was interesting driving around. Lucky there wasn't too much traffic, so I got used to it on the Nullarbor, but I didn't have enough money at the time to afford any fixing on my car. So I was just like, this is going to have to work. <laughs> um, and it did. So. <laughs> that is <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Where you just go, this is have to work. And yeah, it, it, it did. so that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. I, I love hearing that story. Um, <laughs> wow. That's, that's crazy. That's very courageous to, um, for you to do that. I mean, man, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> depending on how you look at it i'll take courageous though. thank you <laughs> that's awesome so you know um you that that's what got you there but what got you some what got you stay in coral bay and i know that um you have ever since that time you have established yourself there and um, built a little bit of brand as well as um 
uh, part of a company, um, you know, from from uh, from yourself. Um, tell us a little bit more. Yeah, like a story of how that kind of developed. How why you ended up staying there, and how you ended up, you know, coming up with this, um, all these brands and so forth. Yeah. So the guys that I initially got employed with, um, they they left uh, basically. So I, I essentially lost my job, which was was pretty heartbreaking. Um, and then. Just, I, I went back to Melbourne. I flew back. My car was not able to make it back to Melbourne. Um, I flew back and I was, I was pretty sad because I, you know, I'd finally saved enough money to well, I spent pretty much the rest of my money on a new setup, uh, had my new setup and I was really getting into to photography. I mean, I was already into it, but I was really felt like I was developing quite fast being out there every day, found my dream. Uh, and then, yeah, they folded and it was, it was quite hard. Um, so I left, went back to Melbourne, um, very sad. And then I got a phone call just before that Christmas saying, Hey Tom, we'd love you to come up and, and fill the contract if you can. So I did, I called um, one of my good buddies, Sam Lawrence, and we went over there together uh, and formed our own company uh, called ocean collective media. Uh, And initially we started with three boats that we were working on uh, two whale shark boats and a manta ray boat with Ningaloo reef dive. Uh, And then we've eventually moved to a company called Ningaloo coral Bay uh, with their boats there. So now we're on four boats and, um, at any time we, we try to have at least five staff up there. Uh, so I guess, I mean, that's kept me very busy the last five or so years. Um, it's always a bit of a shuffle. Coral Bay, um, it's very hard to get accommodation for staff. Um, so if anyone in the uh, West Australian government's listening, please help us get some housing. <laughs> We're all struggling. Um, but it's always a constant shuffle. You never know if you're going to be able to get enough people up there to, to fill all the boats, but we seem to make it work every single year so far. Um, and yeah, it's it's it, it keeps you busy. I mean, last year was the quietest year we've obviously had during whale shark season. Um, I think it was for everybody. Uh, but during the season, we're very busy. We're out on the boats every single day. Um, you know, five six days a week. Uh, and you know, you're you're on the boat sometimes eight nine ten hours, uh, depending if you don't get a whale shark, which is which is quite rare. Um, you know, most of the season you're, you're getting a whale shark at just at varying areas. Sometimes we travel two hours to to see a whale shark. Sometimes we travel ten minutes straight out the channel, and you've got one straight away. So the, the days vary in length, but yeah, it's, it's kept, it's kept me busy for, for that time and certainly met and worked with some great photographers along the way. Uh, and I hopefully continue to do so into the future. I don't really have any plans to, to leave at the moment. Um, unless this cyclone flattens my caravan, it might be a bit difficult to get a tent this year, but uh, we'll see how we go. Awesome. Yeah. Like, um, thanks for sharing that. And, um, it, it can be difficult, I suppose, with, um, you know, with a town that small having accommodation there. So um, yeah, it might it must be challenging for you. And mm. actually like, it's crazy because Coral Bay, it's like in the middle of nowhere, right? It's like what, mm. seven, seven, nine hours drive? No, a little bit. Uh, about 12, yeah, 12, 12 hours, hours drive. drive. Yeah, yeah. From, from Perth, yeah. And that's crazy that's how way. like you guys able to like fill, you know, most of the boats and, and that's, yeah. I mean, mm. I suppose being able to see a whale shark is really, privileges and it like um it's just mm. such an amazing creature um, and the beauty of coral bay too is we have manta rays just just off the off the shore so we you know that's a a year-round thing that we see mantas uh, and then obviously in winter we get whales too as you know so it's kind of a there's so much to see there all year round and it does continue to get busier and busier every single year for us in, in terms of tourism which is which is great for all the guys lots of uh lots of time out on the water uh, everyone's making enough money to get by and be successful which is which is great yeah, that's 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 really cool. And um, so, for the like um, you know, whale sharks and um, the wildlife and stuff like that, 
do you normally go out just with the tour or do you go out yourself and try to um, spot some of these um, wildlife as well? So, I mean, during the season, it all depends on staff. I mean, if, you know, obviously I, I'm responsible for, for making sure there's people on the boats. Um, if I'm going out on, on a recreational boat and there's no one on the, on the whale shark trips, I'll probably lose my contract pretty fast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, mostly on the, on the boats, we've got the best spotters. We've got a, a spotter plane that goes up every day. And so there we've got the best boats as well. Very comfortable to go out there. Uh, and the skippers are great as well. You know, as, as photographers, we're, we're spotters too. So we get put in the water first with most things, uh, whether it's making sure that it's a whale shark and not something else, or uh, whether we're getting in on a bait ball uh, just to, you know, with somebody else to make sure that it's, it's all good to, to bring in the customers. We usually get a little chance and a little window to get in, see things first, establish a bit of a connection with the animal. And then if it all goes well, maybe take a couple of photos first and then everyone pops in. Uh, which is which is always great. It's kind of a big advantage being a photographer in that regard, being able to get in early. Uh, in terms of wreck boats, we certainly do. I mean, during COVID, we were out there so much, uh, as much as possible, uh, exploring the reef. And it, it was it was really cool to see the reef without the the bigger boats there. Uh, we obviously missed the tourists, but um, the wildlife missed us. Um, I actually remember the first day after we kind of knew that there was no COVID in town and we were kind of a bit freer to go out on our boats. And, you know, we did the right thing at the start. Uh, the first day we went out, I was with a couple of good friends uh, on the boat and we we're in the channel and we see bottlenose dolphins a fair bit there, but they, they very rarely um, jump out the water. Um, but this bottlenose dolphin came racing over to our boat and just breached right out the water, you know, a couple of meters. And it was, it was a really nice feeling. It was almost like they kind of missed us a little bit. We like to think that. And they say, like, you know, where, where have you guys been these last two weeks? <laughs> um, but yeah, we get out there as much as possible. Everyone in Coral Bay, uh, including myself, lives and breathes the the ocean. Uh, you know, we live so close to it as well. But if it's a good day with good weather, chances are most of the people out there are going to be out there because it's it's why they're there. Um, living in the desert, there's not really much else other than good people in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, speaking speaking of bre bridging, um, it just remind me when I was on that tour and um, you caught that photo of the whales just like bridging on uh, off the water, <laughs> and I was facing the other way. I was like. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, i've missed my fair share don't worry <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome no that was that was insane just to be able to experience it because it was like pretty close it was like a good like what five ten meters away from our boat or something like that it was insane like just to see it up that close mm. um yeah so mm. um you got um yeah. like a, a clothing brand called uh, protect what you love is yeah, that right? That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. do you want to share us a little bit more? What is um how 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 did that come about? And you know, what is Protect? What you love about? And what's your mission? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you for asking. A little plug. I'm actually wearing the shirt as well. <laughs> <You can see. laughs> um, a little, little plug. Um, yeah. So, Protect What You Love started. Um, it's it's changed a lot over the years. We started about four years ago. Um between those four of us guys, um, four, three of us lived in Coral Bay and, and the other fella, uh, Kalen, he lived on the East Coast. Um, and he was like, kind of like yourself visiting, coming out on whale shark trips. And we got along really, really well. Uh, and he sort of pushed the idea to us. I'd never really thought about starting a clothing company, uh, but he said, you know, I love what you guys do. I love the life that you live and, and the things that you see. Why don't we try and put that on some t-shirts? Uh, and I thought I'm a yes man. So I just said yes, almost quite blindly and was like, let's go for it. Um, as did a couple of my mates as well. Uh, and we all jumped on together and we sort of said, how do we want to base this brand? What do we want to call it? You know, there was all these different names that were floating around and sort of said, why don't we, why don't we try and dedicate it to something raising awareness? Cause I don't really want to commit my time to something that's just a fashion brand. Um, there's a lot of fast fashion and things out there. I'd like to be part of something that means something 
and, and the guys were the same. There was no hesitation. So we've, we decided to call it Protect What You Love. Uh, and we aimed it at pretty much initially changing the stigma behind sharks um, and since grown into something else. Um, but basically, you know, we, we all grew up in various ways, not being in the water with sharks, not understanding them. You know, I was born in the UK. Uh, one of the other guys was a surfer um, and he was terrified of sharks until he started swimming with them. And we kind of thought if we can come from that perspective and now be people that advocate for them and, you know, it's, it's an extreme, but we swim with them quite regularly uh, now. And, and I think if we can meet people halfway or at least further away from, from wanting to kill them and, and, and for no reason, um, that's the aim for Protect What You Love is we want to try and educate people on the importance of sharks and the, and the threats that they are facing. Um, obviously, the media doesn't help us very much. So we're almost a counterweight to the way the media behaves. There's a lot of um, sensationalizing of, of shark spotting and, and things like that, uh, which kind of leads to there's no empathy towards sharks. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of like-minded people like ourselves that, that understand the importance of them. But, you know, for every one of us, there's, there's another five people out there that really just don't know anything about them uh, except for fearing them. And, and it's understandable because that's all they've been fed. Um, so we're trying to create something that does feed them with education, honesty. You know, we're not telling these people to go out and start swimming with sharks or, or that they're, they're pets or puppy dogs because they're not. They're, they're, but they're an integral part of our oceans and they're something that we we need to have around. They've been around longer than us and they, sh they deserve to be in the ocean. Um, you know, at the foundation, they deserve to be there. Uh, so very passionate about trying to communicate that. Um, our shirts are pretty much designed in, in communicating that message from the get-go and, and people do ask questions. You know, it says, protect what you love on, on the back and it's got a tiger shark there. You know, people are like, oh, well, this person loves sharks. And, you know, if the conversation comes up, which it very often does for me, and I'm sure it does for other people as well, you know, we're armed with the facts and the information to have a discussion. Um, and, it, and it's hard. It's hard out there. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Perth at the moment and there's a lot of um, recreational shark fishermen. You know, I was, I was sent in a group uh, by a friend, Dylan Diaz, and he showed me this group that basically fishes for sharks for fun. Um, and we have scalloped hammerheads, which are in, an endangered shark uh, off the coast here in, in Perth. And people are going out and catching these and dragging them onto shore. Uh, same with tiger sharks as well. Um, they're a vulnerable shark and, and people are going out and catching them. Um, and to put it into perspective, tiger sharks take, you know, a female tiger shark can take up to eight years to, to give birth, to, to be sexually uh, mature. And basically it takes roughly around 16 months for a, a tiger shark to actually have their baby, have their pups. And then it will be another three years again until they have any pups. And, you know, half the pups don't survive as it is. And then we're going out and, and fishing for these, stressing them out. And then checking back out and, and most of these people that are doing it aren't doing it because any other reason other than they want to get a photo with it you know come see us on the ningaloo if you want to get a photo of the shark we'll sort you out <laughs> um so that's kind of where our minds are at, at the moment uh we're actually working on new design um, i won't reveal it just yet because i'll get in trouble um but we're working on a new design as well uh that we're going to be raising awareness for uh, and actually hoping to work closer with the charity to, to actually donate some money to that charity uh get involved with them ourselves uh, so it's growing. It's growing very, very fast. And we've got a lot of support from all across the world uh, that's continuing to grow. Uh, and yeah, it's really nice. You know, we're hoping to establish, uh, and it already has begun, but a community of people that want to protect what they love, basically, and, and have somewhere where they can have a voice, talk about it with people that are like-minded and just grow stronger and stronger as we go along. And, you know, I think it's important to have that space. I know growing up that I had a lot of passion for the environment um, and not necessarily all my friends did. And so I used to you know, kind of talk, try and find other people to talk to about it. But if we can raise that conversation and have that within our homes, within our families, you know, my family don't, they respect sharks and they love them because I communicate with them and they love animals anyway. But, you know, I've communicated 
my experience with the sharks them and they have a little bit more empathy towards them now than, than they would have used to and if every single person can do something like that in their homes like we're doing it might be a bit different world for sharks so yeah let's see what the future holds but we're working very very hard at the moment um unfortunately a couple of the guys that started off the business they've they found other things that they're passionate about and they've they've left um so recently last year it did become my own business which is which has been a lesson in itself um but i'm working closely with a with a friend from primary school actually from the uk who also owns uh, a wildlife conservation print company shout out to you jacob um and he has been incredible because he's a he's very very good when it comes to business um i'm a bit of a creative brain that kind of has a million ideas but he kind of makes me focus them and allows us to actually make a difference um more so than me trying to make heaps of different differences <laughs> uh, he can help me to sort of push that power down one avenue and make things happen so he's been great and influential um so yeah watch this space there's, there's pretty big things to come hopefully that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I, I love the name protect what you love. Um, you know, I thought um, when I first about it, heard about it, it was, it's, it's really speaks to me. Um, you know, like a good example is um, right here in Canada, um, apparently about 80% of the glacier are going to disappear in the next 50 years. I mean, that's insane. I mean, that's, that's my lifetime. It's not even, you know, it's not this far away. Like 50 years is my lifetime. It's, it's crazy to think about that. And you know, the, the mere fact that a lot of the, the, the wildlife, especially um, the underwater wildlife are, um, like you say, endangered, right? Um, and they are such a beautiful creature. And this is why I really try to advocate people to travel because when you travel, you, you know, like I met you and um, <clears throat> that trip really um, opened up a lot of um, my, um, my awareness in terms of the, the environment um, danger that, the, the water is or you know the sea um is struggling with um mm. and you know ever since that i did my open dive as well in bali and you know all that is like it, it makes you realize how fragile this world is and man we're taking it for granted like honestly yeah, so i i'm so happy that you you um you know you you bring this voice and um you know you share um you share this voice with us i think that's amazing um you know protect what you love really I mean, for your case, you know, it's it's where it, it revolves around sharks and the water. But all of us have something we love in this world. And I think it's very important for us to protect it and not take it for granted. So that's, that's awesome. It. That is that is really awesome. Yeah, thank you. And on that as well, you know, like we we hope to grow into not just the ocean, you know, in the future. There's going to be so much. It's At the moment, it's finding the, the time and the resources to do that. I mean, we're, we're so we're so new, but with what you're saying everybody has something that they love and to do with the environment everyone has a backyard whether it's a local park where there's birds that rely on the trees there you know there's so many variations so many things to be protected whether it's just going for a walk every day and picking up litter you know there's so much that we can do to make a difference and you don't always see the difference that you're making and people might pat you might not pat you on the back for doing what you're doing but just know that those little things even picking up one piece of rubbish will change an animal's life in some way. And if you can do just those little things, like I say, the one percenters every single day, you'll make it a better world for something else out there. And then you, you, you grow and that's, and that's how conservation is formed. Uh, and, and once, you know, if we can do that as a, as a collective, as, as a species, then it's, it's going to be a better world for us as well as all the animals that are a part of it that we, like you say, we, we tend to forget quite easily when it comes to, to development and, and growth as humans. And that's uh, you know, like, in retrospect, right, when you think about it, the amount of people that we have in this world and the amount of people that says, um, and <laughs> it's funny that I say this because I am guilty of this. I used to say, you know, it's like, you know what, like I'm one in 
a trillion, you know, what one person can make a difference. But the mere fact is that if you as one person make a difference and the other trillion, per, uh, you know, of us make that small difference, that's a big, massive difference, right? So that mindset really need to change. And honestly, like travel really has changed that mindset for me. Um, before that, I, I used to be that person where I go like, you know what, it's like, that's okay. Like, you know, I'm just one in a, in, in a trillion. I won't make that much different. But like you say, if every single person, right, in this world spend or like pick a rubbish for every TikTok videos or Instagram post that they posted, this world would be clean. <laughs> yeah, spot on, mate. Spot on. Uh, honestly, it's like, and it's not that hard. Like, you know, it's it's not that hard. It's 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 it. it sure, like you, you go on a trail hike, you don't need, you don't need to collect everything and bring a, a big bag of it. Just just collect what you can, like five of them, ten of them. It makes a whole lot of difference. And yeah, that's that's, that's so amazing. Um, I, I'm so glad that you um you share that with us so um coming to the one hour mark um, i want to keep this um kind of on the one hour just so that it doesn't drag out too much but i want to talk before we go i want to talk a little bit about um you know what we just talked about the awareness around the environment um from from my experience um the people that live around the environment are the one that aware the most about the problems and also the challenges right because i mean i come there for I think it was like three days. I swam um, on the water. I enjoyed the beach, and then off I go. And you know, it was perfect. Like within that three days, so you know, the sun, uh, the sun was out. Beautiful day out to be jumping in the water. So we don't see that as much. But for a person like you who actually lived there for such a long time, I'm sure you have um, recognized some of these challenges. Do you want to share us a little bit um, and give us a little bit awareness around that challenges? Yeah, I think. Um, certainly, thank you for giving us a spotlight to do that as well. It means means a lot. Um, particularly in our home, we've noticed even this year more than ever, plastic, single-use plastic is is by far the the biggest pet hate for a lot of us, and I'm sure a lot of the wildlife as well. I mean, the amount of lolly wrappers or plastic little plastic bags that have been used once, or those those sandwich bags, protective masks, things like that that are just being discarded by people you know sure they they, they put it in the bin but it, it just goes it goes into a landfill place and gets blown out of there and ends up you know a lot of people in coral bay do great work going out every single day picking up rubbish and, and myself included like i'll just go for a walk in the afternoon and that 10 minute walk ends up being an hour walk because you end up coming back with bags of the stuff and this is in remote western australia where there is relatively no people you know and it's it's really really scary and all of our marine life it, their filter feeders, not all of it, obviously, but you know the the megafauna certainly. They're, they're filter feeders, and and they're taking that plastic in unknowingly, and it's killing them. Well, I mean, we don't know the effects of that yet. Um, I was talking to a whale shark scientist the other day, and he was telling me basically a lot of whale sharks when they die, they sink to the bottom, so we can't actually tell how much plastic that they're um, ingesting. But there's a big chance that these filter feeders are taking a lot of plastic, and. I mean, 100%, there's no doubt that, that, that they are doing that. So that's probably, for me, the biggest one. Uh, and then, obviously, yeah, we, we've got this program at the moment that's being started called Resilient Reefs uh, in, on the Ningaloo. Uh, and their aim, they're doing some great work, uh, and their aim is to basically find different species of coral that are resilient to climate change. Um, and basically, the reason that they're doing this is by 2040, they predict that we're going to have uh, annual bleaching events on the Ningaloo Reef, so we'll lose our coral reefs. Uh, now, I'm not a marine biologist, I'm not a scientist, but you can feel it inside you when, when these annual bleaching events 
on the Ningaloo Reef. We're, we're a pretty pristine reef at the moment. And that's how fast this planet's supposed to warm given the rate that we're going. And we're gonna be having annual bleaching events there. So knowing that and, and knowing that that's gonna to continue to grow unless the government changes something, unless we change something, unless we're forced to change something. I think, you know, the best thing I can say to people is, is vote accordingly, you know, make the difference. Like you say, we were talking about only being one person. If that only one person adds up to a million people voting for companies or politicians that are going to do the right thing by the environment, that's how we're going to make changes, you know, as well as not using single use plastics at home and, and being conscious of what you're buying. Um, there's a big thing in Australia about super funds at the moment. And a lot of the super fund companies are investing in fossil fuels uh, with your super money. Um, take that money out and put it into something that's putting it in towards reforesting or, or something that's helping the planet instead because those things are there and they're growing and, and we're getting stronger and stronger as people that care about this planet. The only way that we're going to change things is by recognizing that, that this is, this is happening now and we need to make a difference now and start thinking about it. It's not one of those things that we can leave until the last minute. You know, we're talking today. Oh, Oh, <laughs> then he just cut out again. And there's a cyclone in Coral Bay that's going to hit Coral Bay. There's a Oh, still there? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you're, you're back. Oh, there it is. Unstable connection. <laughs> a bit like our environment going forward if we don't, <laughs> if we don't make the right changes. Um, but yeah, if I could say anything to anybody, it's just start thinking about making this change. You know, not just think about it. Let's start doing it. You know, think today and, and do the change tomorrow, literally tomorrow, <laughs> because we need to start changing the way we live now. That's that's awesome. And, um, you know, the... Um, I mean, it used, it really frustrates me when I buy this um, waffle, um, you know, the, just a chocolate waffle or whatnot, and mm. it's inside a plastic, and then you open it, there is a cardboard, you open the cardboard, there is another plastic, and just, and then you open mm. that, and then there is a plastic tray. I'm just like, why? Like, I just don't understand it. And, you know, it, it, it's like, I sure, it might work in, um, you know, for a commercial perspective, but come on like seriously you know what i mean like go away from, it doesn't change the taste and it doesn't it doesn't change the structure and um you know going back to your what you're saying with single-use plastic um actually I'm, I'm a hoarder of plastic what i mean by that is that i don't use plastic um, i like when i go shopping and stuff i don't um i bring my own bag and stuff right mm -hmm. but if i do get a plastic i would try to reuse it as much as possible either as a bin or as a storage space so i end up having this massive like bulk of plastic that i've just you know ended up reusing it as much as possible and that's it a small thing like that make a big difference right um i mean you know if i you know the plastic from the bread is probably better plastic than the stuff that you use for um for uh, that you buy from like groceries and stuff so i actually usually keep them <laughs> and yeah. reuse them for like totally, sandwich yeah. bag i was like it's from a bread anyway why not use it for a sandwich bag instead of buying exactly. one right it's yeah, like yeah, so like, you know, like that small bits, small difference. And then once you use it for a small, like um, a sandwich bag, you could use it for a small bin or whatnot, right? So, um, you know, that just, just don't be lazy, you know, it's That's like it. It, that small bit of difference make a lot of difference in a, in, in a, in a bigger perspective. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. And um, that's good to hear, um, you know, like the message, especially from, um, a person who's living there um, and it's it's really hard for us to kind of put in um, perspective like it seems like it's there and it's not going away but the problem is do you really want to take that chance because when it's gone it's gone right 
I mean, it's, it's similar to like COVID. I know a lot of people, it's quite controversial with wearing a mask and people are like, oh, why do we need to wear a mask? We're being controlled. It's like, you know what? Like it's a small price to pay. Like if, if, if it really going to protect you, like wearing a mask is really mm-hmm. insignificant compared to all the problems that you're going to get if you do get the COVID, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I'd be like, you know what? Just in case, like I never know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so yeah. awesome, yeah. awesome. Oh it's, man, that's yeah. Sorry, it's a very um, it's a very tough one to 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 make that change. But once you do and, and you consciously do it, it's it, it does make such a difference, like you say. And there's always going to be people that are going to call you a greenie or be negative towards you, and that's because you, you have to break it down. They're they're pretty much they don't want to change basically. And the only way to change those people is to talk to them nicely and, and educate them. Um, you know, I was. I was told by, um, I recently spoke with Madison Stewart or Shark Girl Madison, uh, and she's, you know, she's been absolutely incredible what she's done for the environment. And I said to her, how do I talk to these fishermen that absolutely hate people like me? And she said she ends up becoming friends with most of them because she talks to them respectfully without getting angry and educates them. And not all of them change, but if you change one in 10 of them, that's one fisherman that's going out there and saying, hey guys, maybe we shouldn't do this. You know, and if you can communicate this message to people that really don't want to change, yeah, it's going to make a big difference as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And um, this is one of the reasons why I want people to travel because a lot of times you got to be, you just got to see it for yourself. And it's really mm. hard for me to tell you, um, you know, like, wow, this glacier is going away. But the fact is like, it's going away at the rate of 50 meters a year. That's insane. Um, you know, like it's hard to say that, oh, it's rare. Um, you know, this, this incredible um, coral is going away because of bleaching. So until you actually see it for yourself. So honestly, like, um, you know, if you get a chance, like go travel, see different things, see the world because it will change perspective. I know it had, it, it, that's how I changed my perspective. I had to see it for myself and experience it for myself. So um, mm. yeah, but man, thanks a lot for, um, for that. And thanks a lot for advocating for our environment um, and our sustainability. Um, I mean, the world is changing, but unfortunately and quite scarily, it's not changing fast enough. And it, 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 it is um, scaring a little bit of, um, <laughs> it is scary to, to see the rate that it is going. So um, mm. it's good to any awareness we can share. It's always good. Well, and like, thanks a lot for, um, you know, jumping on board. Now, one last question before you go. Um, I always ask this to all the guests that come into um, the podcast. If you have one advice, you can tell um, a a fellow photographer or somebody who might want to do what you do or um, anything around photography at all. What would that advice be? Uh, At risk of sounding cliche, uh, believe in yourself. Because I think that's been my biggest enemy going forward is, is not believing in myself. Um, if you can't do something, break it down to as many small parts as possible. Someone told me this the other day. If you can't do something, break it down to as many small things as possible and do one of those at a time. Whether it's as simple as turning the camera on and then figuring out how to do the next setting and all finding out what that means. They're all little parts you do have to learn eventually. Don't try and do it all at once. You know, And yeah, smooth seas smooth sea never made a good sailor. So expect a bit of turbulence along the way and you'll be all right. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, <laughs> you know, like in, in my community, in the, in my course, I actually talk more about believing in yourself and motivating my students to get out there because you're right. It's all start with the self-belief. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't believe in it, you're never going to go anywhere. So that is such an awesome advice. And I love how you say, you know, break it down because, Hey, everybody can turn on the camera. 
guess what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, so exactly that's awesome. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for being here. And, um, you know, for um, the people who want to um, learn more about you and about um, uh, protect what you love and um, some of these conservations, what is the best way to find you? And I'll make sure I'll put it in, in, um, in the description of the link once you let me know. Yeah, so uh, Tom Cannon Photography is my personal Instagram. Um, so feel free to ask me any questions on there. Uh, and protectwhatyoulove.com.au is our other Instagram. And that can lead you to the website. And we've got a bit of information about tiger sharks and the face, uh, threats they're facing at the moment as well on there. Uh, and a bit about our story. So feel free to jump on there. Um, always feel free to reach out as well. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me as well, mate. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting to you. Man, that was a lot of fun. Um, I, yeah. I you know, it's like it. Honestly, like I've been on the fence about going back to Australia, and like <laughs> I'm actually like if I'm going back to Australia, I'll be excited again. I'll be like, you know what? I'm actually probably gonna jump in the water. So um, yeah, I'm really. Uh, uh, I'll yeah, trade. I'll trade your uh, landscape photography <laughs> lessons for my underwater any day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, for sure. So you know, thanks a lot for being here, Tom, and um, you know, some you, um, sh sharing a little bit of your time, sharing your story, your struggles. As well and you've been very open about your struggles to get to where you are and um, I, I'm hoping that you know that can be a big inspiration from the for for the listeners out there so that was amazing well um, thank you very much um, wiki hunters thank you very much for tuning in and you, you know there's a lot of gem here um, that was um, a lot of um, education or also awareness I should say um, that we talk about here and you know, give it a second thought if you are not on that fence. Um, give it a think and see it for yourself. I think it's really hard for me to tell you that, hey, the glacier is like going away or hey, whale sharks is, you know, disappearing until you actually experience it for yourself. So, you know, you have one life. Go out there, try these things and see these things and see it for yourself. Um, that's probably the one thing that I want to um, end this um, podcast with. But thanks a lot for tuning in. And if you um, haven't subscribed yet, make sure you subscribe because you will hear pe inspiring people like Tom today um, on my podcast. Well, un until next time. And Tom, thank you very much again for jumping in and sharing your stories. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, brother. Take care.